Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. It is a beautiful night out. And when I was a teacher, this was the sort of day when the students would just beg me to take class outside. Any teachers have that problem ever when the weather starts to do this? Yeah. Where nothing actually happens outside except for you try very hard to keep the children from running away. That's why teachers never go outside. We are continuing our series in Philippians tonight. The series is called Identity, Recovering Our True Selves. By the way, my name is Josh. I don't preach here all the time. I am the executive pastor at Grace. We have two campuses, one here downtown, another in North Liberty, and I spend most of my time there. So if you've been here multiple weeks and you haven't seen me, that's why. Um, But we are continuing in this series, Identity, Recovering Our True Selves, and tonight we're going to talk about who is qualified to serve. Who gets to serve? And this isn't a question that everybody asks, but it's a question that is in the back of our minds when we go to church and when we're participating in acts of worship and when we're around other Christians. Sometimes we ask it about ourselves. Should I be here? And sometimes we ask it about the people around us. Should they be here? And so let's look at what the scripture says about who is qualified to serve. Is this on, David? We good? Okay. Uh, Let's talk about Making sure this is on. Yep, it's on. Okay, there we go. No. Ah, there we go. Let's talk about who gets to serve God, and let's talk about it um, as it was for the Philippians first, because we should always know the context of what we're studying, and the context here in Philippians is this. Paul is writing to a people who know there is a God. And for thousands of years of human history, everyone knew there was a God. That wasn't really a question in anybody's mind. It was an assumed uh, state of being that there were gods, in fact. And the bigger question was not, is there a God? But how do we serve that God? Are we the right people to serve this God? Uh, Are we going to the right places and doing the right things? Those were the sorts of questions that people were asking. Those are the sorts of questions the Philippians were asking. And Paul is writing to them about that. 
But we are in a slightly different place in human history where it's not quite the same anymore. Um, in our time, it's more, there is no God. If there is a God, it's my preferences. And so Paul is going to say something about that as well. It's not, uh, it's not true to say that he is writing about that, but we can apply that, uh, what, what Paul writes to this question as well, um, of whether our God should be our, our preferences and whether our God should be the things that we choose. So when we ask this question, who gets to serve God, um, we do need to answer it for the Philippians because that's who Paul's writing to, but we can answer it for ourselves as well. And if your God is your preferences, which is common, which is a lot of people today, if your God is whatever you choose on whatever day, you're going to find yourself confused quickly because your preferences, if you haven't noticed, change. Just like Steve was talking about, as you get older and as you grow and mature as from, a, from a child into an adult, you begin to understand what's possible and what your capacity is and who God is even. I was talking with my wife this afternoon and she was saying, uh, describing how as she has gotten older, God has gotten bigger because she's understood more of who he is. Um, C.S. Lewis says something very similar, right? That the older you get, the bigger God gets because the more you understand what it means to have an all-powerful uh, all-knowing God. And so our preferences change even when our preferences are in the right place. Our preferences change. And so we don't, we don't want to just uh, understand who gets to serve God in, in terms of our preferences or in terms of for the Philippians, but we want to know just straight and simple, what does God say himself, right? If there is a God, and we do believe there is one, you all came to church tonight, I hope that that's okay that you understand that we believe that there is a God here. We're going to teach that, uh, that he's real, that he exists. What does he say? Well, let's ask what he says uh, by looking at the scripture. First in Ezekiel 33, uh, verse 11, it says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? So God answers the question, for Israel at least, this way. Here's who gets to serve me, the people who turn back from doing evil. And I don't imagine we have many people of Jewish descent in the audience, or in the congregation. And so we might want to move on to Joel, because you might think, well, that doesn't really apply to me, because he's talking to the house of Israel and Ezekiel. So what does it say in Joel? It says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone can serve God. Anybody here not in everyone? It's not a trick question. Everyone's in everyone, right? Yeah? Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. And then finally in Revelation 3.19, these are the words of Jesus. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Jesus says, just as God says through Ezekiel, uh, turn back, right? That's what repent means. It means turn back. It means you're going one direction, like literally turn around and go the other direction. That's what repent means. And Jesus says, those who repent can serve me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, eat with him, and he with me. So this is God's answer. Everyone can serve him. And that's a little difficult for us because ultimately what we're talking about tonight are systems of righteousness. When I said that the Philippians were asking questions about who got to serve God um, they knew there was a God, but they wanted to know where we should go and what we should do. That was ultimately a system of righteousness that they were asking for, right? And when we talk about our God being our preferences, we're creating systems of righteousness, rules, laws that people have to follow in order to be right with us or with God 
or with whatever we're worshiping. So God says there is a system, right? You do need to repent and be saved. But he's also going to say something about which righteous system is the right one. So tonight, uh, let's talk about how everyone is qualified to serve God if they repent. Let's talk about how our righteousness ultimately is going to get in the way and how Christ's righteousness is going to be the perfect substitute that we need. And then let's also talk about um, what God's plan is for us with that righteousness. So he gives us this gift. What does he want us to do with it? Can you pray with me? God, I thank you for these words. I thank you for teaching us, Lord, for not uh, leaving us alone, but giving us your instruction, giving us your direction. Help us to see into your word tonight and to understand it and to grow from it. Um, to understand, Lord, what the Philippians wanted to know, but also what we need to know. What does it mean that we're qualified to serve you, Lord, that you've chosen us, that you've called us? Help us to understand that, I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, let's start in verse 1. It says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write some, uh, the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. I said I was a teacher. Um, if I was a teacher and this was your essay, I would mark you down. Because the themes seem disjointed, right? The sentence construction is fine, but the themes, like why are you telling us to rejoice in chapter 1 and telling us to avoid the dogs in, in not chapter 1, in verse 1, and avoid the dogs in, in 2? What, where did mutilating the flesh come in when we were rejoicing? Why did you pair these two together, Paul? This is strange. Did anybody read that and think that's a little strange? Why is that? Well, this is part of a letter. Philippians is a letter, and Paul did not include chapters and verses when he wrote the letter. Paul wrote to his friends, and he tried to address all of their concerns. And clearly, these are some things that they were concerned about. But Paul is just trying to signal that he is moving toward the end of his letter. And as we teach through Philippians, sometimes we break in places that aren't advantageous for the text, right? And this is one of those times where we haven't just, we've broken it up, but it isn't really advantageous for the text. So verse 1 and verse 2 are related, right? But what Paul is doing is he's turning toward the end of his letter. And now in verse 2, he's starting a theme that's going to carry through. So we'll see that. So that's why it's a little disjointed as we present it this way tonight. But when he says, look out for the dogs and look out for the evildoers, Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's not talking about dogs, right? He's talking about people who demand a type of righteousness that is inconsistent with what God asks for those he is called to serve him. Specifically, he's talking about people who are demanding, Christians, who are demanding that other Christians be circumcised to be real Christians, quote-unquote, right? That's the system of righteousness that Paul is saying is a problem because there are Jewish believers who are trying to carry this piece of the Jewish ceremonial law over and stick it onto new Christians and say, you have to do this as well. And Paul says, watch out for that. That's a problem. What happens when you do that sort of thing is you find religious people are trying to enforce a brand of righteousness on you. He says, that's problematic. Don't do that to each other. I don't have that in mind for you. Right? That's not Christ's plan for you. So don't do that. He says, besides, if we're going to play that game, if we're going to do that, I have more righteousness than all of you, right? And so he lists all these qualifications. Paul says, um, I have, right, reason for confidence in the flesh more than anybody else. 
He said, Here's, here are my qualifications. I was circumcised on the eighth day in accordance with the law. Right? Even before I could make choices for myself, my parents were making the right choices for me. They had me circumcised when I was only eight days old. And I know right, that I'm of the people of Israel and of the tribe of Benjamin. Despite all kinds of records being lost and despite all kinds of shifting um, uh, people from one place to another, being uh, taken out of Israel, taken out of Judah, right? um, being lost and being found and all of those things, I know which tribe I belong to. I know that I am a Hebrew and that I was a Pharisee, he throws this on top of it, right? I was part of a group that added laws to the law to make sure that we were holy. So if we're going to play this game about keeping track of righteousness and setting our own standards, he says, I've already won. Let's not play that game, right? Because what happens when we play that game, we try to enforce that brand of righteousness on others, and also we're tempted to build our faith on that righteousness. We're tempted to say, look at all of the things that I accomplished I must have great faith because I did all these things. And we can do the same thing today. Like we're tempted to do the same thing today. And it changes based on who we're with. Have you guys, have you found yourselves doing this? Think about the ways in which you have described your right living to the people around you. If you're in a church context, you might say things like, um, I'm bleeding. No, you wouldn't say that, but I am. Um, I apparently cut my finger. So, it's a very difficult sermon. You might say things like, I went to church, right? And I was raised in a Christian home. And I went uh, to a Christian school. And I've only had Christian friends. And I married to a Christian woman, right? You might list all those things. But if you're in a college context, right? If you're in a school context, you might say things like, oh yeah, I went to school here. And I studied with this person. And I've read all of these books right? And here's the philosophy of whatever program that I adhere to. And so you might build righteousness for yourself in that context as well. If you're a sports fan, you might do this, right? With the teams or the, the, the players that you follow. Any number of ways we try to build these systems of righteousness for ourselves. And when I say righteousness in terms of education or sports, I'm talking about standards that we create of like right living, where we are essentially saying to other people, this is the right way to live. Right? Be a fan of these teams. Study these things. Follow these teachers. So we're tempted to do this too. We aren't tempted necessarily to do it in the way that Paul did it, but we are tempted to do it. And Paul says, don't do it. He says, instead, do this. And then go back to verse 3. He says, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The circumcision is a way of saying the people who are sealed and set apart and called by God, right? That is what the the Christians who were trying to enforce their standard of righteousness were doing. They were trying to create a standard. And Paul says, you don't need to create a standard by mutilating the flesh. Only men could ever be circumcised anyway. And Christianity is for men and women, right? It's for Jews and Greeks. It's for everybody. It's for every race of every people, every tribe and tongue. So don't try to do this thing physically. Instead, worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Many of you are familiar with this uh, story from the Gospels where Jesus goes and he teaches, I'm sorry, where where he goes and he um, speaks to a woman at a well in Samaria. And it's an amazing story because um, Jesus is speaking to a woman and uh, he's a religious leader, right? And she is clearly a sinner and she knows that and he knows that. But it's also a helpful story here 
because that woman asks this question. She says, our, our traditions, our leaders say we should worship here in Samaria, but your tradition says that we should be worshiping in Jerusalem. Which is it? And Jesus tells her, it's not about places. It's not about right practice. It's about the spirit. It's about having the spirit of God and worshiping in spirit and in truth. And Paul repeats that here. He also says, starting in verse 7, whatever gain I had in all of that stuff that I accumulated for myself, I'm going to count it as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. He says, here's the contrast. You can either try and do all of these things for yourself and eventually become like the dogs and mutilators of the flesh who are trying to make righteousness happen by pure force, right? By brute force. Or you can trade it all, count it all as loss and accept Christ who is of surpassing value, like better than every other thing. So much so that you would count all of your other achievements, everything that you've accumulated as garbage. He says, our righteousness is worthless, but Christ's righteousness can be ours if we believe in him. And that does beg a question, right? Which is this, why be righteous in the first place? If we do this, if we count everything as lost, if we give it all up, why do we do that? Why do we want to be righteous in the first place? Why, why do we want to have any standard? Let's say that we choose God's. We're accepting God's standard as our own. We're going to be okay with that. That's fine. We'll take his standard. But why be righteous? Why is it worthwhile to give away everything else? Because there are opportunities for a good life now. There are people who write books entitled things like Live Your Best Life Now, right? Who call themselves Christians, why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we enjoy what we can while we can? Because we know we're going to die, right? Death is inevitable. And this is not one of those sermons where I tell you, right, like it could be tonight, you could go out there tonight, and of course you could go out there tonight and die. But I am telling you it is inevitable. So why not have the good now? Why go through the suffering? Why do any of this? This is Paul's answer. He says, it's for Christ's sake. Not for my own, but for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. And then he goes on and he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, have fellowship with him in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul tacks on here, he says, yes, I want to have Christ, that's why I want to be righteous, so that I can have Christ and have that relationship with him. But more than that, he says, I also want resurrection from the dead because Paul also knows that death is inevitable. And this is a very important point. If the resurrection from the dead is not a real thing, then you should all leave. You should go find something else to do. Paul's very clear on that. He says this in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to turn there right now. If you have a Bible and you want to turn with me or you have an app on your phone you want to turn with me, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's very clear about this. He says the resurrection of the dead, it's an important thing. It's a very important thing. Because if it's not real, we should not worship this God. Here's how he says it, starting in verse 12 of chapter 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So just go, right? If there's no resurrection, if there is no everlasting life, just leave, be done right now. Because it's not worthwhile. If the hope that we have in Christ is just for this life, then be done. But that is not true, right? Paul goes on to say it is in fact the case that we do have life in Christ. So why do we want to be righteous in the first place? Why should we want to be qualified to serve? Because it's good and right to desire eternal life with Christ. That is a real thing. We do have that. Christ did raise from the dead and he is alive and he is preparing a place for us so that we can be with him. So this is, this is worth wanting. We should want that. We should want to pursue that. That's why we should want to be righteous. Not for ourselves, but in Christ, taking his righteousness as our own. Also because this free gift, it gives us not just the reality of eternity, but also the privilege of serving him right now. So while it's true that we can't have the perfection, the consummation until eternal life, we can begin to have right relationship with him now. We can begin to serve him now. This is a gift. And it's not just a matter of, do we want this? But it's a matter of, we get to. We get to be citizens of heaven right now. So think about this, right? Think about somebody coming through the doors. I don't know who it would be for you. Um, I know that some of you have, you know, your, your heroes and you have people that you look up to. Um, I'm trying real hard to think of, you know, maybe it's Patrick Mahomes for Jason, right? He comes in and he says to Jason, right, do you want to hang out with me for the day? And it's not going to be a hard answer for Jason. He's going to say, yeah, I think I would like that, right? I want to do that. But that's a different sort of, a different sort of situation than the king of the universe coming into this building and saying, you get to serve me, right? I'm giving you that opportunity. And that's what we have if we accept Christ's plan for us. You just have to tell me who your heroes are so I don't have to pick on Jason every time. Just let me know. I know he appreciates it, but not that much. So God's plan for us. We are qualified to serve him because of the sacrifice of his son. It's Jesus Christ's righteousness, not ours. Right? That's why we're qualified to serve him. When he said in Ezekiel and in Joel, and when he said in Revelation, repent, right? I love you. He says in Revelation, I discipline the sons that I love. Right? So if you're under discipline and you feel it and you know it, right? See it as love. Hear the call of Christ. And know that he is offering his righteousness for you. And through the sacrifice of his son, so you don't have to do that because you can't, right? You cannot fulfill the law. Know, as the Philippians were told by Paul, right, that this is not about finding the right people and the right practice and the right places. This is one of the right places, by the way, right? This is a good traditional church building. Have you ever walked up the steps and just felt proud that you're going to church in a church? Anybody? Right, like there's some authenticity here, right? There's some, some dust on the floor, right? Like this is a church, but it doesn't matter. It really does not matter, right? If you have the Holy Spirit and you're worshiping in spirit and in truth, that's what matters. 
So know what the Philippians knew, that it does not matter what place you're in, right? Paul found them by the river, which is where people would gather in that time to pray, where they would gather to come together if there was no synagogue. But that was great. That was perfect, right? That they would just be together in spirit and in truth. Um, Don't be like those in our time who say it's just your preferences. Don't trust your preferences. Do you know how fast your preferences change? Think about it. I said it earlier, but think about it. Think about how fast social media especially, right, and the hourly, like, two-hour news cycle. It used to be a 24-hour news cycle. Now it's like a two-hour news cycle, right? If you go to class sometimes, you guys have had this, and you come out and, like, the whole world has changed while you were in class. That's how fast the world changes, and your preferences, you're encouraged to change them just as fast. Right? Blue is the new pink, orange is the new black, white is the new whatever. Right? Every day, all the time. Because it's hard to sell stuff if you're not constantly changing your preferences. But don't do that. Right? Trust, trust that Christ's righteousness, that that standard that has been accomplished for you is worth it. Because this is the reality. Right? The Lord reigns. God is king and he is reigning and everybody can serve him. Everyone. Everyone here can serve him. In North Liberty this morning, I joked that even people from Nebraska can serve him. Right? Everybody. Think of your enemy in reality, though. Think of your enemy. Think of the person that you really dislike. That person can serve God because Christ died for them. While we are yet sinners, he dies for us. He loves us while we are yet sinners. So, that's the reality Everybody can serve. Christ's sacrifice is effective for all of us. And we haven't talked about this tonight, and we haven't talked about it maybe in the last couple of weeks, but we have recently talked about the necessity of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit's power that enables all of this. When I say serve, when I say you're qualified to serve, I'm saying you have the Holy Spirit. You have God himself who will indwell you and enable this. So that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about you doing this all by yourself, right? Christ's righteousness, and now you just have to follow those rules. No, it is the Holy Spirit working in and through you. That's what you have access to. This is God's plan for us. So here is what I hope you take away. God is calling you to be a citizen that serves right now. And if you don't know if I'm talking to you, I am. And if you're not sure if it's you, it is. God is calling you. Are you sure? Yes. You want to talk about it afterward? We can talk about it afterward. Let's get some food. We'll sit down. We'll talk. God is calling you to serve. When? Now. What does that look like? It looks like asking him to come into your life. Repent, right? As the scripture said, repent. I'm standing at the door, Jesus says. I'm knocking. This is him knocking. The word spoken to you. He's equipping you to serve with his power today. That is the Holy Spirit, right, that we talked about. Paul knows this. Paul knows that it is only the Holy Spirit at work in him that makes him see this gift that he has in Christ and want it, right? And the Holy Spirit continues to work in you. And then finally, faithful service leads to everlasting life. Most of us do not think about heaven like we should, right? Most of our ideas about heaven are generated from popular culture. They're not generated from reading the word. When you think about heaven, you're almost always going to have like a go-to cartoon reference, right? Or a go-to movie reference. But you're not going to have a go-to scripture reference. You need to, right? If you, need, if you want to understand why Paul says, 
we need the resurrection. We need life everlasting for all of this stuff to make sense. You need to understand what Paul understood about heaven, which is that it is completion. And we do think about it in terms of no more death and no more dying, and no more bloody fingers, right? But we, we need to think about it as more than that. It is more than that. It's also the consummation. It's having everything we were intended to have. You were all created to bear God's image, male and female, he created them. Bear it perfectly. And what does that look like? We can't even begin to understand, but we do know that it means work, right? Work exists before the fall, but not work like we know it now, not in futility. Work that actually produces what it's intended to produce. How many of you have worked for days or weeks and had to scrap it all because it was in the wrong direction or because it didn't quite fit what it was supposed to fit, right? You measured like six times and you cut like 17 times and it just didn't work, right? That's futility. That is what work is now. But God created work to glorify him. It exists in heaven and we get to do it well and build and make and grow and learn, right? Imagine intimacy with everyone in this room but not the intimacy that's like hard won over years and years. Right now, the best we can hope for is a really long marriage where you learn to love each other well enough to just exist in the same space, right? Well together over time. And hopefully a little bit more than that, but that's, that's a good marriage, right? 50 or 60 years together where you just exist together well. And we're talking about intimacy well beyond that, like God has in himself, the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. So imagine being so close to the people that you know and love that you understand how to fellowship with them truly, right? As the Father does with the Son. That's what heaven is. That's what's waiting for us. And when I say faithful service leading to everlasting life, please do not mishear me. Don't hear me say, do the right things to earn eternal life, right? Paul does say, and it kind of sounds like that, right? That by any means possible that I might attain eternal life. But he's saying, I just want to know. I want to do everything I can to see that I am being a good and faithful servant. And in fact, that's what we hear Jesus saying to those at the end, right? Well done, my good and faithful servant. So this is just a description of the path. Be faithful. Be a servant now, right? He is equipping you with his power today so you can be faithful, so you can say, well done. Pray with me. God, we thank you and praise you for giving us this gift of your righteousness in our stead, Lord. You, you sacrificed yourself, you laid down your life, and you took it up again. And when you appear, Lord, when you, our righteousness, appear, we will appear with you in glory, and we praise you for that. We praise you for everlasting life. Help us to understand what that is, Lord, the hope that we have in you, not just to cheat death, but to live forever and to live as we were intended to live. God, I pray that you would give us strength for each new day. Holy Spirit, be present in us, active in us. Help us to hear this call and respond, I pray in your name. Amen.